Good evening and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. We are gathered this evening as a church, obviously in person, but also online, to begin to prepare our hearts and minds for Easter. God sent Christ into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we do not need to fear, though the mountains quake and the, the winds blow, though the waters roar and the skies darken. We don't have to fear because God's love and his mercy endures forever. So the first Christians were fervently devoted to observing and remembering the days of Christ's passion and resurrection, so much so that it became a custom of the early church to prepare for them every year with a season of repentance and fasting that we now call Lent. So the season of Lent provided a time in which new believers were prepared for their holy baptism. But there were also those who had been separated from the body of the faithful because of notorious or very public sin. And so Lent was a season when they could be reconciled by repentance and forgiveness and restored to the fellowship of the church. So in that process then, all of God's people were reminded of two very important things. First, the message of pardon an absolution that is proclaimed and available to every one of us through the gospel of our Savior. And second, of the need for every single Christ follower to continually repent. Repentance is not just a one-and-done kind of a thing. It is a lifestyle, daily coming before the Lord, being broken over our sin. And that's why, and that's how it's possible for us to continue to walk in faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Lent is all about. So our scripture for this evening is from Matthew chapter 27, verses 55 through 66. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered that it be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, the day after pre the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that impostor said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Almighty God, you despise nothing you have made, and you forgive the sins of all who are repentant. 
Create in us tonight and throughout this season contrite and clean hearts that we may deeply and genuinely repent of our sins and acknowledge our brokenness and so that we might obtain from you the God of all mercy and grace, full pardon and forgiveness. And Lord, tonight as we gather, we cannot help but think of all that is transpiring on the other side of the world. We confess, God, that it is overwhelming to us, and it's hard to even know how to pray sometimes. But we know that you are sovereign and that you are working out your eternal purposes and will even in the midst of such turmoil. Lord, have mercy. Grant protection to all those who are caught in a literal, literal crossfire of so much evil. Strengthen those who are giving their lives for what is right and good. We pray all these things through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thanks, Kimmy. So why this passage today? Well, Ash Wednesday is about ashes. And so the burial of Jesus is of great significance to us. It was customary in that day for servants or family members of those who were crucified to request the body. So when Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus, asked for Jesus' body, Pilate naturally gave it to him. Nobody wanted those bodies to remain on the cross, especially the Jews on the eve of the Sabbath. So it would be doubtful that Joseph would have had to even justify his request. It was just what was typically done. So as was the custom, Joseph then wrapped Jesus' body in a clean linen cloth. But then Joseph placed Jesus in a new tomb, that he had recently prepared, probably for one of his elderly relatives. The newness of the tomb is noteworthy because it means that there's no one else in there, so the bodies could not be confused. It also means Jesus was not buried like criminals typically are, in the anonymity of a common grave. And then Joseph rolled a big stone over the entrance while the two Marys sat watching opposite the tomb. The stone that was rolled in front of the tomb is where I want us to focus this evening. We give the cross great significance, as we should, but there's also significance in the tomb because an occupied tomb represents death, our death as a result of our sin, and the stone seals the tomb, while an empty tomb represents life, our new life in Christ, which was revealed when that stone was rolled away. So that stone and its positioning with regard to the tomb bears our consideration this evening. First, it marked the seemingly end of this remarkable story that took a rather dramatic turn of events over the past week. Jesus went from being celebrated as he entered the city of Jerusalem less than a week earlier, hailing him as Hosanna in the highest, to then instituting the sacrament of communion with his close disciples, where he even washed their feet. To all, 
occurred on those remarkable events that happened later that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, including actually being betrayed by one of his own. He would be accused, tried, beaten beyond recognition, crucified between two thieves before finally succumbing to his womb and giving up his spirit. And then that day closes by rolling a big stone in front of the entrance to Jesus' tomb. And with the rolling of the stone, the Jews were finally rid of this menacing Jesus. It was the seeming end to the story. Second, that stone separated Jesus from his loved ones. It prevented the two Marys from bidding their final goodbye. They loved Jesus dearly and desired to grieve and express their love for him like we do when we've lost someone. Why else would they have followed Jesus there and sat so attentively across the way from the tomb? As if it wasn't enough to experience the gruesome events of that day for someone they loved so dearly. But then there's this big stone preventing them from the closure they so desperately needed. And they simply weren't physically able to roll that stone away on their own. It separated them from Jesus. Third, the cold, hard stone guarded against the fears of the Pharisees, concerned that Jesus might actually rise from the dead as he had earlier proclaimed that he would. They asked Pilate to guard the tomb, make sure that rock never moved to head against their greatest fears. In their minds, securing the rock would ensure that if Jesus did awaken after three days, as he said he would, well, that guarded rock would make sure that he never saw the light of day. Or even if he did never awaken, they also feared that his disciples might steal his body. Menin spread the news that he'd risen from the dead. So guarding that stone assuaged their greatest fears. Fourth, the stone concealed the truth of all that had transpired that day. The betrayal, the false accusations, the beatings, and the murder of an innocent man. That stone provided a barrier preventing the reality of the stench of death from emanating from that tomb so that those guilty of his murder could move past it all, providing a concrete measure of closure for them. It concealed all that Jesus represented, his teachings, his many miraculous works in the darkness of that tomb, preventing any light from penetrating the entrance that might expose the truth of who Jesus really was. The very Son of God, the Messiah, the one whom God had sent to reconcile the sins of the world. And fifth and finally, the great stone represented authority. Pilate's authority to knowingly crucify an innocent man. It represented the Pharisees' authority to condemn Jesus because of their envy and self-righteousness. It represented the Roman authority that empowered those guards to secure that tomb. The stone represented the authority that would mark the end of the story 
that would separate Jesus from his loved ones, that would guard against the Pharisees' greatest fears, that would conceal the truth of whatever might become of the man who claimed to be the Son of God. So as we move throughout the next six weeks, may we all reflect on the great stone as we ask ourselves some questions. What stones in our lives seemingly mark the end of our story? What stones in our lives that seemingly guard against our fears? What stones in our lives separate us from Jesus? What stones exist in our lives that seemingly conceal the truth? And what stones in our lives have we seemingly allowed to have authority over us? Because these stones represent a tomb, a burial, a death, dry bones, the resulting effects of sin in our lives. And so as we enter the season of repentance, the season of Lent, it is our prayer that the Lord might roll those stones away. And so let's go before Him in prayer. Almighty God, we ask, seek, and knock that You would help us during this Lenten season to seek Your face. Would You reveal to us the stones that block our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The stones that represent death and dry bones. Through our prayers, meditations, fasting, and charity, may you awaken us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you make a dead man walk again? For Jesus' sake, amen. Hear now the words of repentance that King David professed in Psalm 51 after committing the sin of adultery, murder, and abuse of his office as God's anointed king. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. 
Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. As a consequence of the fall, we're born morally corrupt, enslaved to sin at enmity with God, unable to please Him or even turn to Christ for salvation on our own. Let us therefore come before God, our Creator and Redeemer, and confess our sin together as one body in Christ. Whether you're in-house or online, would you read aloud with me as we pray? Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against you, our divine majesty, provoking most justly your wrath and indignation against us. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. The remembrance of them is grievous to us. The burden of them is intolerable. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. For your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all that is past and grant us that we may hereafter serve and please you in the newness of life to the honor and glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So we break our fast together this evening by gathering around the Lord's table. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, we humble ourselves in your presence. Our sin is ever before us, reminding us of our need for a Savior. You are our God and we are your people. So you sent your Son to be our Savior, dying on the cross for our sins, establishing this new covenant that we now live under. Lord, we are not worthy that you should come under our roof, but speak the word only, and our souls shall be healed. Amen. Communion is for all those who place their faith in Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Paul instructs us to examine ourselves before we receive the elements. Since we've already professed our confession corporately, let's now take a few moments in the quiet of our hearts to humbly confess our personal sin privately, to accept Christ's forgiveness, and to recommit ourselves in humble obedience to His service.
Tonight we gather at the foot of the cross, reminded that there's never been the forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Under the new covenant, Christ's blood serves as the means to our forgiveness. Before Jesus went to the cross to shed his blood for us, he had a meal with his disciples, instituting communion between God and man for all time. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord Jesus until he comes again. Every year, at the time of the Christian Passover, we celebrate our redemption through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lent is a time to prepare for this celebration and to renew our life in the truth of the resurrection. We begin this holy season by acknowledging our need for repentance and for the mercy and forgiveness proclaimed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We begin our journey to Easter with a reminder of the words God spoke to Adam after he ate fruit from the forbidden tree. Thus says the Lord, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The ancient sign of ashes is an appropriate emblem for Lent. Ashes speak of the frailty and uncertainty of human life, a picture of our own mortality. As Moses writes in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The sober nature of Lent is healthy for the heart and true to the gospel, calling us to say no to ourselves in order to experience a greater yes in Jesus. It helps us recognize that the news of the risen Lord Jesus did not come without the way of the cross. Lent invites us to willingly identify with Christ's sufferings through fasting of our, and other forms of self-denial. So may these ashes be for us a sign of our mortality and a reminder that only by God's gracious gift are we given everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We're all invited, therefore, to the observance of a holy Lent 
by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, works of love, and acts of charity to those in need, and by meditating on God's holy word. May this Lent season be to us a time to prepare our hearts for the unfathomable gift of Christ's resurrection. We're going to meet back here each Wednesday to break our Wednesday fast together. Please bow to receive the benediction. May a healthy fear of Almighty God guard our hearts and minds and the knowledge and understanding of His vast love for us. May the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit sustain us this week and remain with us always. And may our whole outlook on life be radiant with hope as we go forth to do God's will for Jesus' sake. Amen. 